NatureClean has been making chemical-free cleaning products and personal care products since 1963. Their ingredients are naturally derived from plants and minerals for an effective yet environmentally friendly clean. Many products by NatureClean are approved by the USDA as being certified bio-based. All of their products are vegan and not tested on animals. Buy them online at natureclean.ca. Hi, I'm Andrea Donsky, founder of NaturallySavvy.com and co-host of our Naturally Savvy podcast. And I am Lisa Davis, MPH health educator, co-host of Naturally Savvy and author of the book, Clean Eating Dirty Sex Memoir Cookbook, Healthy Lifestyle Guide. At Naturally Savvy, we are here to help you make healthier lifestyle choices. So we are so honored that you are tuning in to listen to our podcast on a weekly basis. And we are here to engage you, have fun, and help you live your healthiest lifestyle. Now, on to the show. Naturally Savvy Podcast is sponsored by Morphus for Menopause. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Naturally Savvy Radio. My co-host Andrea is away today. To say things have been stressful, I think is an understatement. I mean, so many of us are struggling. Some of us have COVID. Some of us have, have lost loved ones to COVID. Some of us are out of work. Some of us are juggling working with kids at home. There's a political situation. There is so much going on. So I'm thrilled to have the wonderful Dr. Chloe, Chloe Carmichael, PhD, is a licensed clinical psychologist and author of Nervous Energy, Harness the Power of Your Anxiety. Dr. Chloe, I am thrilled to have you on Ashley Savvy. Well, thank you. It's great to be with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and when you knew you wanted to be a clinical psychologist. Sure. Well, I am a clinical psychologist, but before I was a clinical psychologist, I was a yoga teacher and I was doing a lot of private lessons and doing those private lessons. There was always a lot of emphasis on, you know, the person's real goals. Like, why are they doing yoga? They want to reduce their stress. They want to feel more confident or more centered. And so I just got so into the mental part of it that I realized I wanted to go deeper in that space. And so that's why I got my PhD in clinical psychology. So talk about the difference between just nervous energy and like anxiety. Yeah, well, to be honest, I feel like there's actually a lot of overlap. So what people sometimes think is they think like, oh, well, nervous energy must be good and anxiety must be bad. Whereas actually, a person without anxiety would actually be without one of life's greatest gifts. Um, without anxiety, we would you know, not have anything kind of propelling us to think ahead. The healthy function of anxiety actually is to stimulate preparatory behaviors. So that's why I'm encouraging people that instead of thinking of it as necessarily a bad thing, they can try to harness and capitalize on that little extra boost of focus and energy that that has been proven to give us. Oh, that's great. You know, one of the things that I love about doing health podcasts is to be able to give people tools that they can put into use right away. And one of the things that you're going to help us with, which is great, is you have in the book nine anxiety tools, and you're going to share four of them with us. Totally. I love practical stuff. So one of the things I like to start with is called the to-do list with emotions, because many of us are so busy and, you know, we just want to get everything done, which is great. But then we can get almost a little bit disconnected from the why of, of why we're doing what we're doing, or we can sometimes feel like we're just procrastinating on our list, but we don't really know why. So with the to-do list with emotions, we make our to-do list and then look at each item and just jot down 
what's the first emotion that comes up when I think of that to do? And it doesn't even have to make sense. For example, I had a client who couldn't figure out why he was procrastinating on his grocery shopping. And through that exercise, discovered that emotion it stirred was loneliness and sadness because he had recently gone through a divorce and his ex-wife used to do the grocery shopping. Now, the beauty of locating the emotions is that the final step is to layer on your self-care behavior. So he was able to say, okay, the loneliness is coming when I'm doing grocery shopping because the ex-wife used to do it. So for self-care, I can plan a good cell phone call with a good friend or brother while I do my grocery shopping. And then he's listening to that anxiety's healthy information that he needs to increase his social support. That was the healthy message of the anxiety. And so then he solved it. That's cool. I mean, writing things down makes such a difference and really taking the time to sit and think, why am I feeling this way? What is really going on? Right, exactly. Yes. I do that with my daughter a lot where she'll be panicking about something, but it's really not the thing she's panicking about. It's the emotion of what it reminds her of or what it brings up or, you know, just like you talked about with that loneliness. Sure. Another interesting one about panic, I think, is that a lot of high-functioning people, which I'm sure your daughter probably is, just a vibrant, intelligent young woman who's got so many balls in the air, is that we can almost be good at just getting things out of our awareness, like little stressors. We push them to the back of our mind because we can actually just handle it. But by just continuing to push things aside, that's how we end up with these bursts of panic by not paying attention to our emotions at lower levels which is what the to-do list with emotions helps us to do. Another good one for, you know, I think high-functioning people who tend to have really strong, tenacious minds is the mental shortlist. So with the mental shortlist, what has happened is that maybe say you're daughter, for example, was thinking about a really big test that she has to study for and just keep focusing. And all her mind can think about is that test, which to a certain degree is healthy while she's preparing for the test. But then after the test happens, if her mind is just auto tracking to keep thinking about the test, but there's nothing she can do about it anymore, and it's just ruminating, what she might need would be the mental shortlist, which is where we come up with five good juicy topics for your mind to pivot onto instead. So instead of saying, don't think about pink elephants, which only makes you think about it, you have five really juicy topics. So it could be, for example, preparing for holiday shopping or thinking about weekend plans or you know what school she wants to apply to or whose friend's birthdays are coming up and what she can do to celebrate them. Just whatever fun topics or productive topics or a good mix she wants to have. And the funny thing is that it can sound so obvious in the moment. But when you're in that ruminating mindset, it can be so hard. I compare it to like the way an emotional eater does so much better saying no to the Oreos if they have a fridge full of healthy pre-cut snacks available. So that's why I really encourage people to write down those mental shortlist items so that when the thought monster strikes, they have just a really good list to pivot right onto. I love that. Thought monsters. God, that's that's a prevalent thing for, I think, a lot of us. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing about a high-functioning mind is that we are intelligent and our mind can be like a dog with a bone once we get onto something, which can be a blessing or a curse. All right. What's another tool? 
Sure. Another one I like, um, kind of back to the panic attacks, is anchoring statements. So the thing about panic attacks that kind of differentiates them from just like a normal like anxiety fit <laughs> is that with panic attacks, it's almost like we lose our sense of language. Like it's almost people will say, I felt like the room was spinning or my mind went totally blank. Now, this is different, obviously, from having like a truly clinical panic attack. And if anyone is really experiencing those types of symptoms, they should definitely see a doctor. But if in the just colloquial sense of just saying like, oh, I had a panic attack and my mind just went blank, that's really disconcerting for high functioning people because we rely so much on our thoughts and our language. And when that goes blank, it's scary. So anchoring statements, just like they can, like an anchor helps to ground a ship when the waters get choppy, the anchoring statements are a go-to statement that you have for yourself. So you could say, for example, this has happened before. My language always comes back in about 60 seconds. And if you memorize that phrase so that you could say it just like you could recite the alphabet without thinking about it, if you can have whatever anchoring statement really matches whatever your version of that panic attack is, and then you just repeat it to yourself several times, what that does is it actually restarts the part of your brain that knows language. And so that helps to calm you down and start getting the thought process going again, which solves a lot of problems right there. <laughs> That's for sure. You know, you've mentioned high functioning. Talk to us about that. Yeah, sure. So it's just a clinical term in psychology that basically refers to people who, you know, they, they might have some anxiety, some depression, whatever types of things that, you know, people have, but they're still able to get out of bed in the morning, hold a job, have a, at least a couple of decent relationships in their life. So they're able to continue living their life and functioning, even though they have challenges. So a lot of listeners might, you know, even be surprised. People are often surprised to learn like, oh, wait a minute, am I high function? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, you are. Okay, that's because I was wondering. I thought that was an interesting way to put it. Because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mean, there's people that have, you know, I have some learning disabilities and, you know, ADD. And so I'm like, but I think I'm pretty high functioning. You know, I have to be very scheduled and I have to have reminders, but I have a way to keep myself on track. Exactly. I think that is so important because you know, high functioning people sometimes can even struggle with perfectionism. And so it's really important for them to even put these issues into context. I'm not trying to say that the challenges they have don't matter, but high functioning people can almost beat themselves up so much about every issue that it's helpful for them to kind of take a step back and realize, okay, this is something that I do want to work on. Yes, but I'm still doing pretty well. And that's actually a good positive psychology mindset that helps them to do even better. Yeah, I, I think writing things down, I'm big on journaling. I am super into journaling. A lot of the exercises in the book, I actually talk a lot about the importance of writing them down. A lot of the exercises in the book are almost like kind of journal exercises in a way that just help you to unpack and explore things and then think about some steps to take with it. Um, I talk a lot also about the importance of writing things down with your actual hand, if you can, like 
you know, putting it into a smartphone is okay. But when we put our own handwriting in our actual hand and we look at it later, it actually becomes what psychologists call an environmental cue that really takes us back to that moment when we had clarity and emotion and feeling about what we were writing because that's conveyed through our handwriting. So if possible, I encourage people to do, you know, the exercises or their journaling by hand. But if you have to do the keyboard, whatever works best. Yeah, it's funny because when I used to journal, I need to get back to it. I did it a lot when I was younger. I would write so fast because they would say just free write, right? Don't correct it, just anything. And I couldn't read my handwriting. (laughs) Right. That's the but one like at least it's out, right? Yeah, that's true. I, I guess it depends on the purpose, but I think even just looking back at a page of, of your own scribbles and, and just having that be a reflection of, you know, maybe how hectic or chaotic or passionately you felt at that time. I think there's something about being seen even by yourself that can be powerful. And there was um, one more I wanted to share with you, which is worry time. So worry time is actually a funny one because um, a lot of high-functioning people can be kind of worry warts. You know, they sort of joke about it. Um, and it's almost like a problem that they would love to solve, but they're almost afraid to solve it because they also know that on a certain level, their worrying is actually forethought. And that forethought, you know, helps people <laughs> in a lot of different ways. Um, so the happy medium is, is to create a worry appointment in your calendar. And so some people do this like every day for 20 minutes, some people once a week for an hour, whatever's best. But then that way, when you're just living your life in line at the grocery store and suddenly realize like, oh, you know, maybe I should make a point to review my my will and testament documents. I've never really thought about that. Um, But you don't want to just tell yourself, oh, don't think about that. That's silly. It's too far away. But you also don't want to feel like you have to like jump on it right then and there. So people just keep a running like worry list in their calendar. And ironically, again, it actually helps them to feel less stressful because their brain knows that this issue has been logged and recorded and is going to get its full attention. And that's what actually helps the brain to let go and relax outside of that worry worry time. You know, I love that you have this audible audio book of Nervous Energy, Harness the Power of Your Anxiety. I think it's so nice to be able to listen. What do you tell people in terms of getting the book? I mean, I think I should get both because I think both come in handy. But what would you say are the strengths of each? Oh, well, that's a great question. And in fact, I actually talk about audiobooks in the book as well like as another way to what I call in a positive way to hijack your internal monologue because high functioning people can sometimes just have, you know, racing thoughts or we can't stop thinking about something. And so listening to a good audiobook is a nice way to like retrack ourselves. Another nice thing about audiobooks when you're trying to learn new skills is that there's something about hearing someone in a human voice kind of modeling the mindset that you're trying to take on. On a certain level, it's easier for us to kind of do something by watching and learning and almost joining in. So I think there's a lot of advantages. I love audiobooks, and I was really insistent about that with the publisher that we had to have an audiobook. Now that said, I love paperback books too, because I love to highlight and write those margin notes for that whole thing I was talking about with your handwriting and your environmental cues when you remember that stuff. Um, And of course, to be honest, I like digital books too, because there's something good about being able to just index search the book and quickly see everywhere that a certain topic occurs. So I like it all. So this weekend 
is Valentine's Day. So I wanted to jump away from your awesome book we're talking about to talk about your other awesome book. This is an extra bonus, everybody. Dr. Chloe's 10 Commandments of Dating, How to Stop Getting Hurt, Put Yourself Out There, and Find a Relationship That Lasts. All right, tell us a little bit about this book, Dr. Chloe. Sure. So I, this was actually such a fun book to write. And if I could retitle it, I would almost call it Dating for High-Functioning People because one of the things that I noticed when I was working with all these high functioning people is that they're used to being able to just um, get a re- you know get whatever goals they want by just relying on themselves. But obviously, in a relationship, they're not you know you're not totally in control. A lot depends upon you know the other person, of course. And so I noticed that you know a lot of people were kind of doing a lot of quote work on relationships feeling like they could fix them because that's what high functioning people often want to do. And ironically, of course, with relationships, sometimes that's the last thing you should do. Sometimes the best thing is actually to just realize when it's not a match and, and move on or figuring out how to set good boundaries around yourself because high functioning people, they oftentimes want to just jump in with their whole heart, which is a beautiful thing, but they don't realize that the other person may not really actually be willing and able to truly sustain a long-term relationship, even if the person says that they want it at first. So I have created my 10 commandments of dating to help people set up what I feel are the best structures to date in a way that, um, I hate to use this word, but is a little bit more efficient so that they don't waste as much time, um, but that they also protect their heart better too. So that my 10 commandments of Dr. Chloe's 10 commandments of dating was kind of a labor of love for me. Oh, that's awesome. Can you share a, a couple of the commandments with us? Sure. One of my favorite one is um, favorite ones is rule nine, control your mind. So in rule nine, what I talk about is that a lot of people, if they've had a great date with someone, say a great first date or second date, and maybe there was even a passionate kiss or something like that, they'll just replay that moment in their mind over and over because it feels so good. And their body might even be just responding to the memory and it just feels so pleasant. They're getting flooded with all that dopamine every time they mentally replay the memory. But what happens is they're accidentally tricking their brain into thinking that they've had a higher frequency and duration of contact with that person than what they actually have. Um, You know, I mean, you might say on a certain level that you realize you're just pretending, but on a certain level, the brain can be a little bit fooled by constantly almost meditating on the same person. You can start to inflate, you know, the quality of that relationship. Another one, um, rule one, is briefly done, which is where I actually suggest that people should keep those first dates on the briefer side. Because again, I've seen so many high-functioning people get on these dates and they're having a wonderful time and and their own brain and body are getting so fired up and, and enthused about a person, but they don't realize that part of what they're also looking for is to find out about that person's follow-up skills and all these other things that, that you can't really detect during a first date, but that are really important if you want to have a high-functioning relationship. So I encourage people that before they you know, get all in, so to speak, right there on the first date, that they try to keep it a little bit briefer. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the power of that kiss, like if you have a really good kiss, and you just keep playing it over and over, and then you get excited, and then you're like, ooh, you know, and then you get so carried away with that. Mm-hmm. I once when I was single, um, it was years ago, I've been with my husband 22 years, but I dated this guy, it was very brief, but 
he, I'm very open on the show. He, he made love to me. Like he was madly in love. Like there was this certain energy about it. I can't even describe it. Mm-hmm. And it was so amazing. And I was like, oh my God, this is it. And then when he was like, nah, I'm like, wait, what did you don't wait? <laughs> you know, Cause I built it up and it was so, it seems so magical. Like that can happen too. So if you sleep with someone too quickly, which was a bad habit I had uh, in my well, youth. That's, no, that's another one. I'm so glad you're mentioning that because another one that I've you know, a lot of women get into in that situation is they're like, well, I just, I don't understand, you know, what we, we, we did have sex, but I did wait until we were exclusive first. And then, you know, it still didn't work and I just don't understand. So what I say in the book also is you have to find out why he wants exclusivity. Is it just because he likes monogamous relationships and it's basically like going steady in high school? Or is he able to articulate a future-oriented purpose around the relationship that would be the reason for monogamy? So before you, you know, take yourself off the dating market just because, you know, your big crush asks you to be exclusive, I encourage people to ask him to explain why he wants to be exclusive. And if he's unable or unwilling to articulate anything beyond so that we know who our Saturday night date is and so that we can have unprotected sex or whatever your, you know, things are that you're doing around that. If if there's nothing future oriented, I would, you know, really think twice if if you are looking as many, again, high functioning people or who are thinking of the future, they're often thinking of a future oriented relationship. And it's good to make sure that the other person is too before you commit to exclusivity. Now, do you recommend no sex before monogamy? It makes me think of Dr. Patty Stanger from um, Millionaire Matchmaker. So I here's what I say in the book about that. Um, first of all, I encourage people to do whatever works for them. I say in the book as well that these, I call them commandments, but they're really guidelines. But that just on a physiological level, when a woman has sex, her body actually responds differently from a man's besides just the obvious ways that we all know about. But women's body actually secretes oxytocin, which is a bonding hormone. It's the same hormone that women um, secrete when they are breastfeeding. It's a hormone that helps them bond to the baby. And ironically, the better the sex, the more oxytocin the woman produces. So I say that because to answer your question, sex before monogamy, I wouldn't necessarily give someone basically a license to get my body all like hooked on them before I had a sense of, again, A, whether it was exclusive, but even beyond whether it would be exclusive, I would want to understand why he would want to be exclusive. So yes, I do advise holding off on sex until you really understand what is going on in the relationship. But that's only because I found it tends to help people to reach their goals. So if other listeners have other things that work for them, great. As long as it works for you, it works for me. Can you share one more commandment with us? And then people should definitely get this book as well. Sure. Rule four, search for more. So people have a tendency that when they're dating and then they meet somebody that just kind of seems really great after a a few dates, they'll just stop dating other people and they'll almost become exclusive by default. 
And I really encourage people to not do that because there can be something really intoxicating and almost disorienting about meeting someone that, you know, makes you feel a little bit dizzy. Um, But that's actually the most important time to stay grounded. So to just make sure that you are continuing to go out on some other first dates so that if the person seems really amazing for the first few dates and then they suddenly pull back or something, you're not going to just be sitting there holding some emotional bag because you've kept yourself balanced, not just mentally, but behaviorally by making sure you're also going on a few other dates just to keep it light. Right now with COVID, I mean, any advice for singles? One of the silver linings actually is that COVID has given people permission. It's normalized the idea of having a five-minute video screening date, which is actually super because one of the things also I encourage people to do is rule two numbers for you is to make sure that you're going out with at least a certain number of people like per week or per month, depending on your dating goals. And that was, you know, harder for people when they had to pretty much dedicate like going out to to, like meet someone and figuring out what shoes to wear and everything else. Whereas now we can just, you know, do and what, what if you get all the way out there and you discover the person is like totally bizarre. Now the COVID has actually given us permission to say, you know, before we actually meet in person, why don't we just do like a 10 minute video date and just say hi on video. And I think that's giving women, especially a lot of permission to kind of vet people. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think it also is going to keep you from getting into anything physical too quickly. Exactly. It's impossible. (laughs) Do you work with people in private practice as well? I do, although I'm not taking new clients at the moment just because I'm really trying to focus on what I'm doing. I do employ other therapists as well. So there's just a lot of um, business activity going on over here. I really enjoy business and entrepreneurs as well. So there's just a lot of ways to connect. Oh, that's great. Now, going back to nervous energy, harness the power of your anxiety. Do you have any tips for people who... They get anxious and it kind of like accelerates where they aren't able to use the tools or take that beat or take that breath and they kind of just keep going because they're just so overwhelmed. It's not a full on panic attack, but it's sort of like this. It's like the the train has left the station and you're like, wait, take a breath. Wait, come back. Wait. You know? Yes. In fact, it's literally called the three part breath. It's one of my favorite techniques that actually saved my behind while I was um, on national TV providing some news commentary and I stumbled over how to pronounce a word. I tell this story in the book and I got so embarrassed on national television and I started to have a panic attack. Oh my gosh. And so I used a technique in the book, the three part breath that just really guides you to get that air into you um, in, a, in an organized way that also kind of cues your mind along the way as well to kind of settle itself. And thankfully that that saved me. There's still a clip out there on the internet somewhere of me like kind of like take having this stumble over the word and then I take this big breath and then I'm fine. <laughs> oh, I think that's great because some people can just get derailed, right? And everybody makes, I mean, you're going to make a mistake. Everybody does, especially on national TV. Yeah. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. <laughs> I remember I was on Carol Alts. She used to have a national show called A Healthy You. And I was on a few times um, talk. They asked me to like look up some different health things and different things. And uh, there was something with her. I thought she was a Pilates. I got her this shirt. I thought she was uh, into Pilates. And I started talking about Pilates, how you're into it. She's like, no, it's yoga. And I'm like, 
could you tell me that later when we're not on national TV? Yeah, so seriously. I was like, oh God, no, I love Carol. But I was like, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. So oh. is there anything we didn't touch on in your book, Nervous Energy, Harness the Power of Your Anxiety, which is coming out March 23rd, 2021, by the way, uh, that we didn't touch on that you want to make sure that we we do? Well, I guess the main thing is just that nervousenergybook.com would be the place that people could find it. But other than that, I think we covered everything. Oh, good. Well, it's been so nice. And thank you so much for talking about your other book. Tell us the name of that again, and we can get that as well wherever books are sold. Exactly. It's Dr. Chloe's 10 Commandments of Dating. I think that one's actually just on Amazon. Oh, great. Okay. Well, this has been great. And you gave us your website. Are you on social media as well? I am all over social media. So on nervousenergybook.com, all of the links are there. Well, that's it for our show today. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you. And we would appreciate it if you could please rate and review and leave a comment because the more you engage with our podcast, the more you will find it and help other people find it wherever they listen to their podcast. So be sure to follow us. I'm at Andrea Donsky and at Naturally Savvy and Lisa at Lisa Davis MPH. Thank you so much. And please share this episode because the more you share shows you care. We'll see you next time.